With Capella University's FlexPath format, you can set your own deadlines, learn at your pace, and access most coursework from anywhere at any time. Imagine your future differently at capella.edu. This episode is brought to you by Paramount+. Plus. Get in, loser! Mean Girls is now streaming on Paramount+. Plus. Join Katie Heron as she meets the plastics and Tina Fey's new twist on the modern classic. Get ready for more of the rumors, backstabbing, and jokes you loved from the original movie with some fetch surprises. Rated PG-13. Wear pink and head to ParamountPlus.com to try it free. Welcome to Rex Factor! This week, Edward the Confessor. With your hosts, Graham Duke and Ali Hood. Hello. Morning. Welcome to another X Factor. Uh, This week... As you just heard, Edward the Confessor. Brilliant. Probably a name that actually most people have heard of. This is getting on to familiar territory now. Very um, familiar. We're now very much on the road to 1066, although, of course, it's ahistorical to presume that that is in any way inevitable. <laughs> We've got um, a date, though, that's recognisable on this card here. Well, we'll, we'll yeah. leave that, though. It's <laughs> a bit of a surprise what date that could be. Um, a quick recap for the benefit of the listeners, and in particular for Ali. <laughs> well, now, it's not my fault... <laughs> It's been a bit confusing because we've done we've recorded a number in quick succession, so it's easy to. So when I asked who Howard the first was, <laughs> and we'd just done him, it was a quick recap, and I'm there. I'm yeah. now with you. So after Canute's successful reign as Viking king and indeed Rex Factor winner, mm-hmm. his two sons Harold the first, who was the less legitimate one, and half the Canute, who was the more legitimate one. Uh, they only lasted seven years, a miserable anticlimax, and the Viking dynasty's over, so the Saxons are back in charge in the person of Edward the Confessor. And he was the son of... He was a son, born in roughly 1004, the son of Ethelred and Emma of Normandy. Emma, yeah. Um, he becomes king in 1042, so he's about 38 years old at the time. I was going to say, can I just have uh, a quick describe this card that I've got here? Yeah. Overriding description? Mm. Oh. <laughs> Indeed. He looks really, really old. And well, yes. More, more, what does he? Well, he's praying. Describe? I mean, I mean, yeah. the, I don't know whether the artist just looked at the name, but it looks very regal. I mean, I don't know whether this is because it's the last of the one of the last of the Saxon kings. But yeah, praying and old. Yes, he's. I mean, he is old. I think thirty-eight years old is older than most of the kings that we've covered mm. actually lived to, and this is the point at which he becomes king. Yeah. So he's pretty old. Yeah. And the praying thing is important, because obviously he's called the confessor. We'll explain why. Mm. But part of what we're doing here is getting rid of a sort of mythology about him as being this otherworldly, spiritual, too pure for this brutal world. Right, because his brothers were kings in the past, weren't they? His half-brothers. Yeah, well, his step-brother of, or half-brother. Of Hartha Canute and... Of Hartha Canute, of Harold I, and of Edmund Ironside. Who were... Brutal. Pretty brutal chaps. Yeah. And he's portrayed as being very religious and, like, saintly, but not really an accurate description. So we'll get to the real Edward over the course of this. And also, he's the 27th great-granduncle of Elizabeth II. Brilliant. So numbers coming down again after it went a little wayward with the Vikings. Yeah, yeah. Okay, well, I mean, I could be as related to him as that. 
as well. I mean, it gets more, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it gets more and more impressive, I suppose. But it will do. It yeah. will do. Just to say, he's he's been a bit of a complicated one in terms of the research because it's sad in a way that we're obviously moving towards that date that we're not talking about yet, and the Saxon uh, reign is going to end. But in many ways, it's already over in terms of that romantic Alfredian line of these great Saxon kings. Probably Edmund Ironside's the last proper one in that line because Ed, Edward has grown up abroad he's part of Norman Scandinavian politics it's all mixed up it's quite hard to get any kind of identity to kind of yeah all the families are now stage. beginning to get quite related so yeah. it's not it's and, not an, and there are lots of half cousins all of whom seem to be called Sven who've got mm. a vague mm. uh, claim to the throne anyway I've kept it fairly simple Missing out probably a lot of the important international politics just to focus on the bits that we know will ultimately matter. Yeah, to our well, to our to our factors, I suppose. Indeed. But but now, so this is when it started. The last of the convoluted ones before we're back to a, a straight dynasty type thing, isn't it? With the well, I know we've got Howard. Well, it's a little step, yeah. yes. Anyway, care about him. Do that later. For now, Edward. So his um, how he comes to the throne. He's incredibly unlikely ever to become king. He has six older brothers from Ethelred's first marriage, because he's from the second marriage. And then, of course, um, when Ethelred and Edmund Ironside get defeated, Canute becomes king, so suddenly there's a whole new Viking dynasty, and then Canute has children. So it's very unlikely he's ever going to become oh, yeah. king. And yet somehow he does, which is very and impressive. He, so he was the one who was sent away, sorry? He was sent away, so uh, yeah. when um, Sven first invaded, Sven Forkbeard first mm-hmm. invaded, and Ethelred was briefly dethroned, uh, Edward went into exile in Normandy. But um, when Ethelred was negotiated to come back, he sent Edward with his ambassadors, which showed that Edward was seen as the proper royal son. But then Edmund Ironside, of course, got defeated. Apparently, there's a tradition that Emma sent Edward to fight with Edmund Ironside against mm-hmm. Canute. Unlikely, given that he would only be in about 11 or 12 but there's still these legends that he almost cut Canute in half and just missed what, him. This, this Edward? This little 11-year-old. <laughs> Probably all that happened was that Emma just sent him to Edmund to sort of help reunite them because they had no yeah. rivals. Yeah. And it's sort of another example of her opportunism because obviously he was too young to stood any kind of chance. Yeah. So she was using him kind of as a pawn. She was clever, wasn't she? She was. And then when Canute comes to the throne... Edward's not a viable option to become king. He's too young. So he gets sent away to Normandy along with his younger brother, Alfred. Yeah. And Emma marries Canute and to a certain extent abandons Edward. She relinquishes his claim to the throne in favour that any son she has with Canute will become the legitimate heir. Yeah. And that was half of Canute. And it's quite likely, as we see later, that Edmund may have resent- Edward may have resented this somewhat. So he'd have been quite old by the time these Hearth of Canute and that were even born. Oh yeah, he's much older than them, yeah. yeah. He's an adult by the time Hearth of Canute's mm. really of any kind of age. Anyway, when he goes off to Normandy, we don't know an awful lot about what he was up to. His activities aren't very well chronicled. Um, they probably moved from a range of courts and did a lot of hunting, which was Edward's great love. Not something I'd heard imagined from Edward. I thought it would just been like an Alfred. No, well, he liked his yeah. hunting. Yeah, there we go. That was his big dispute um, uh, activity. Um, he didn't seem that he went off campaigning with the Normans. So mm. he wasn't very close to court. But from 1035, the Norman duchy is in quite precarious state because William becomes the Duke of Normandy when he's only eight years old. 
Yeah. So it's a bit uncertain there. So that means for Edward that he's not got any support really to push him and his claim mm. to the throne. Yeah. So it doesn't look like he's ever going to get away from his exile. It looks like he's in perpetual yeah. outside of them. However, um, he does make an attempt when uh, Harold I becomes king in 1036, if we remember. He and Alfred were asked by Emma, allegedly, yeah, to come back. To come yeah. back. Yeah. Edward went over, apparently had a bit of a skirmish, got sawn off, came back, not sawn off. He was <laughs> seen off. Seen off. Yeah. <laughs> that would have been a setback. <laughs> got a sawn off, yeah. <laughs> he was seen off and returned to Normandy, whereas his brother Alfred, of course, was captured by Godwin and uh, blinded or killed, as killed, he preferred. Killed by the eye. Killed by the eye. So that's quite another setback. He's tried to come over, no support for him, and he's headed back. Mm-hmm. However, when Hartha Canute becomes king... He doesn't have any kind of heir, and for whatever reason, whether it's to improve his popularity or because he knows he's dying, he invites Edward to come back to court and effectively makes him his legitimate heir. Oh, that's right. Because there were no other sons, no other children, and they were half-brothers. So all of a sudden, that ship has sailed. Like, you had lots of other brothers and sisters, a whole new dynasty comes in, you're in exile, and now, bosh, back in the Suddenly, he's right back in there. Right. And likely he would have rushed back quick, as quickly as possible because he hasn't got any real future mm. in Normandy. He's not really particularly wedded to it as a base of power. Mm. However, as we'll see, he is in many ways a child of Normandy. That's where he's grown up. That's where he politically he's got a lot of... And he got on with Edward. Oh, with um, William. William, mm. indeed. So, the succession, as we said, very unlikely. Six older brothers, the Viking dynasty, and the fact that he's 38, most of his predecessors were dead by this point. Yeah. So he's yeah. done well just to be alive yeah but he becomes king and he becomes king quite easily thanks to making an alliance with godwin godwin the chap who killed his brother indeed the chap who killed his brother alfred in 1036 bit of an unlikely alliance yeah. but godwin is the earl of wessex and he's got lots and lots of sons very powerful he's really the man that you need to be allied with if you want to become yeah. King. Yeah. And the fact that Godwin's on board means that Edward can become king quite easily, so there's an easy transition of power. And just to show that he loves him, Godwin gives him an even bigger ship than the one that he gave to Hartha Canute. Crikey. Just to show Godwin. I, I, now, how well he would have done history, mm. if I was Godwin, I'd have gone for king. Yeah. Mm. Well. Yeah, that's, that's this, this week's contribution. Well, Godwin doesn't really have any kind of claim to the throne just power just power yeah. however that power is important mm. um, and then 1045 Edward marries his daughter Edith Edward married his Godwin's daughter Godwin's daughter oh. so Godwin is now father-in-law right to Edward the confessor right so Godwin's power now is absolutely yeah. huge Emma his mother may have thought that this would mean that she was secure in her position at court because and she's still alive she's still alive Hell. She's still going. So she's thinking, yes, another of my children is king. This is great. Yeah. However, quite soon afterwards, um, she was surprised when Harold turned up with Godwin and various other people and a bit of an army uh, because she was in control of the treasury at Winchester. So he went along and removed her from the treasury, removed the treasury. Harold? Um, Edward, sorry. Edward did. Harold. Yeah, Edward came Harold. along and Edward takes his mother. his mother away from the treasury, takes it back, and she is... Banished from court. Wow. So is it suggested that he'd always behave like one who'd been deprived of love, and he's got this resentment issue of her abandoning him? In favour of... Uh, of... Of Hartha originally. Family, so it's yeah. a sense that, you know, he wasn't happy with her. 
There were also various other rumours. One was that she was supporting the claim of Magnus of Norway, who, if we remember, had made a deal with half the Canute that when one of them died, yeah. they'd inherit the other's kingdom. And there was a fear for a while that Magnus was going to try and invade England. And there was a rumour that Emma was going to support him. Emma would support him over her own son. Yeah, that was rumoured. Probably not true, because there was also a rumour that she had to prove herself innocent of adultery with a bishop by going through trial of ordeal. Oh, God. Did she do it? Well, there's a, there's a legend that she did with the help of a saint who made it that she would feel no pain. Probably it just didn't happen. Right. Either way, there are lots of rumours. She's got lots of mm. en- enemies. Mm. However, she does come back to court, and it was probable that she was just trying to hold on to the treasury to keep her power because she knew that Edward didn't love her as much as yeah. half the Canute had done. But she comes back to court, witnesses charters again, but once Edward marries Edith in 1045, she then just slips into the background. Mm. And that's it for her. So in 1052, at 70 years old, Emma dies. Wow. And uh, is buried with Canute. And that's the first queen buried with her husband since Alfred's time. Oh, right. Well, she was jolly powerful, I suppose. Jolly powerful, as you say. So she was the wife to two kings, the mother to two kings, stepmother to two kings, and ultimately she's the grand-aunt of William of Normandy. That has to be a record. It's the most related royal, related royal. She's incredible, and she's so important to this yeah. all these events of linking all the different courts together. Wow. And she's a good example of how, although in some ways not a sympathetic character in the way that she deals with her children, this is how a woman has to survive at yeah, court she did. these times. And she yeah. does, so she did very well. Credit to her, but mm. she's now gone. And she, so she went to the grave with both her eyes. Yes, she did. Excellent. Well done. Died well. As we said, Magnus Norway also had a claim on the throne. Um, he was initially preoccupied with fighting one of Canute's nephews, who inevitably was called Sven, mm-hmm. uh, for Denmark. Um, this caused a bit of tension at court. Godwin wanted to send Sven's 50 ships to help him, but Edward refused. Uh, Magnus was victorious, but uh, ultimately died in 1047 before he could launch any kind of invasion. Mm. So for the moment, they are safe from Scandinavian invasion, it would seem. We've got Edward, the nobles behind him, sorted. Indeed, although it's just worth noting that the Norwegian throne was inherited by Magnus's uncle, who was a chap called Harold Hadrada. Interesting. Who may be a familiar name. Yeah. See where that's all coming together. So Edward gets coronated, made a vow that he'd go on a pilgrimage to Rome if he ever became king, but Mm. the nobles weren't keen, given that they'd lost three kings in seven years, Mm. for their fairly old king to go off to Rome by himself. So they sent a deputation to Rome to relieve him of the obligation. And the Pope required that Edward, uh, in return for this, would found a monastery dedicated to St Peter. And this became probably his major project throughout his life. And what he did was he chose... At the time, a very boggy island, which was known as the Isle of Thorns, described by offer as a terrible place, but known today as Westminster. Really? So his major project is building Westminster Abbey. So it was on the other side of the river, mm. to where traditional London was. Is that right? Yeah. Because London was normally on the north side, the old settlement's on the north mm. side. Oh, okay. Blimey. So, he's quite... He's there now, he's got coronated, he's building Westminster Abbey, but there are tensions at court. Hang on, sorry, no, it is on the north side, it's just further further west. Yeah, okay, go on. Yeah. Good, good to clarify. No, okay, yeah, yeah. Tensions at court. He's grown up abroad, which means that the powerful men at court weren't men that he really knew and yeah. wasn't allied to, so he doesn't have many friends there. None of the earls also would have sailed Ethelred there previously, so they're not really as wedded to the Saxon dynasty. We've had this before, this has been were. an issue before, yeah. yeah. 
and he has some no he had some normal men around him, but there wasn't really an Anglo-Danish purge, mm. so he's feeling a bit isolated. And in particular, as would be expected, he does resent Godwin quite a bit. Yeah. Namely, the man that killed his brother <laughs> and now has all the power. And his father-in-law. <clears throat> and his father-in-law. Um, his, Godwin's oldest son, Sven, was exiled in 1046 for a rape and kidnap of an abbess of Leominster. And then he returned only to kill another one of Canute's nephews called Bjorn. Got declared a nothing, which meant that he was irreparably disgraced of no standing. But Godwin paid to have him reinstated again. But nevertheless shows that Edward's starting to say, yeah, he's asserting assert his own yeah. will. Then, as we said before, 1047, when Godwin wants to send some ships out to help mm. fight Magnus, Edward refuses. So Edward's starting to take control of the situation against this pretty powerful chap. But it all comes to a head when the Archbishop of Canterbury dies in 1050. Godwin wanted the new one to be one of his uh, kinsmen, but instead Edward put in place a chap called Robert of Eumiege, I think that's pronounced, i.e. Norman, and very un, uh, un, un, whatever the word is, poorly taken by Godwin. Yeah, yeah. Particularly because Robert and Godwin were enemies, and in fact Robert accused Godwin of stealing Episcopal land and even planning to finish off the job that he'd started in killing Alfred, i.e. by killing Edward. Oh, is this, this isn't very wise at all. Well, they're at loggerheads, and it comes to the crunch at Dover, when in 1051, Edward's brother-in-law, Eustace of Boulogne, visits. And while he's staying in Dover, he's preparing to leave, but he came into conflict, conflict with the local people in Dover. Big fight broke out, and about 20 people were killed on each side. So Eustace comes back to court and demands to Edward that he does something about this and goes and harries Dover, which is territory of Godwin. So Edward tells Godwin to go and harry it, but Godwin refuses. Um, so there are odds. Tensions are building. Edward's said to have conveyed a message to Godwin that they would be at peace when he had returned Prince Alfred to him. Ooh. A bit, yeah. Of, a, yeah. bit of a point. He probably meant his bones. They love the bones. Maybe it was just about the bones. Uh, but what happened was that the Godwin family, when preparing maybe to launch some kind of military mm. rebellion... Um, Edward brought his whole court together and the Godwin family en masse were exiled. Crikey, that's bold. So all of the Godwins are forced out into exile. So he must have... He must have. Did you say get, he got an army together before he made that? Godwin was starting trying to build it together, but Edward got all the powerful nobles other than Godwin together. And then right. Godwin realised there was no support for him to yeah. rebel. So the Godwin and family are sent off into exile. Oh, they're not going to be happy. Not going to be happy, but it's pretty impressive that Edward's mm. managed to do this. As we're saying, he's not this just yeah. religious, clueless yeah, yeah. figure. He's clearly a, yeah. knows how to get on in the world. Crucially, at this point, Edward is said to have promised William of Normandy that he would name him as his successor to the yeah, throne. Yeah, now, this is the bit that I remember. He was... Was that when he... I thought he'd promised him that when he was in Normandy in exile, or was that... No, that's someone else, which we'll cover next week. Okay, fine. Right. William probably came to England, so they probably met. Right. And at this point, about 1051, Edward said to have promised him the throne. Probably didn't actually take it very seriously at this point, Edward. He probably was just doing it partly because he needed to negotiate with William to get Norman support because he was still worried about the Scandinavian yeah. invasion. Mm -hmm. And also just to irritate Godwin. Yeah. Because Godwin presumed then that his son would... Yeah, because Godwin, obviously, his wife had married... His daughter had married um, yeah. Edward. His sons are powerful. Mm. But instead, Godwin's exiled. Edith is 
sent away from the bedchamber. Oh, even his wife? Even is... his wife, yeah. Blimey. However, what happens next is that Edward starts to irritate people at court. He promotes a few of his Norman favourites, tries to rule by himself, and actually Godwin had a lot of people that supported him in important areas like Winchester. So Edward loses a bit of popularity, and as you said, Godwin family aren't going to be happy about this. Yeah. So they build up a fleet and decide to return by force. Likewise, Edward prepares militarily. Godwin's able to land successfully, does some initial raiding to get supplies and such, but he doesn't want a civil war. So when Edward realises he's not in a great position and Godwin wants to come to terms, they meet. Godwin prostrates himself, asks for forgiveness, and they are pardoned, and Edith is restored, and Godwin is restored to power. So after a brief moment of independence, Godwin's now back in town. But suitably bashful and hopefully a bit more meek? Well... A bit dead, as it happens, because oh. Godwin dies. Godwin's been around for a long time. He'd yeah. served Edmund Ironside, Canute, all the Viking kings. Godwin dies in 1053. His son, Sven, had died whilst in exile. So Godwin's removed. However, this means that Godwin's next oldest son, Harold Godwinson, is oh. now the prime man Godwin's of son. the Godwin family. Harold Godwinson, who you may know as yeah. King Harold. Blimey. So that is how he comes to hold a prominent position okay. at court. So Harold yeah. of 1066 fame is now in place. And also conveniently, the uh, Archbishop of Canterbury, Robert of Umiage, dies. Oh, so happily that... that so that awkward character is booted out and they fuss, put in place yeah. a chap called Stigand, who's one of these Anglo-Danish people that everyone get along with. Did this chap here... Edward, the confessor. Edward, did he have any children with his Edith? Well, we'll come to that. Oh, I see. <laughs> okay. So, at this point, 1053, um, Harold Godwinson pretty much becomes all but name regent. So he's running the show now, even more than Godwin ever did. Harold Godwinson is running the show. He's the preeminent earl because he amasses lots more earldoms as some of the older orders die. The other Godwin brothers get promoted Mm. to earldoms as well. So the Godwin family are ruling huge amounts of the land now. And Edward's getting a bit old by this time, and he's he's still in touch with events, but he's not quite as proactive in government. So he's focusing more on hunting and on building Westminster Abbey. So this is where he, st- he gets his religious um, yeah. reputation from his later years. However, an exciting thing happens, because as you asked, does he have any children? The answer is no, he didn't have any children with his wife, Edith. Yeah. And maybe when Godwins are in exile, he could have considered remarrying, but once they're back... That's obviously in place, and he isn't going to have any children. Yeah, yeah. So, they have a lucky discovery. If we remember, Edmund Ironside had a son in exile in Hungary. That's who I thought this was initially. Ah, having all the goulash. Yeah, exactly. He was Edward, though, wasn't he? Yes, he was Edward. Edward the exile, (sighs) just to differentiate. Yeah. No one in England had really known whether he was alive or dead, what was going on, but by some means or other, they discover that he is still alive at the royal court in Hungary. And, and, and this is this is Ironside's this son. This is Ironside's son. Legitimate heir beyond A Edward. legitimate heir, indeed. So, lots of uh, negotiating goes on. The King's ambassadors go over. Maybe even Harold Godwinson might have been involved. And in 1057, Edward the Exile comes back to England to become the legitimate heir, and they've got the succession secured with another Saxon in place. But the Godwins can't... Yeah, go Indeed, on. but... Very shortly after he arrives, he dies not being able to see Edward. 
There isn't any suggestion in the sources that this was fishy, but it does seem it a little bit fishy. fishy Getting yeah. on quite nicely in exile, yeah. comes back a few days later, dead. Mm. It's a bit WikiLeaks all indeed <laughs> Saxon leaks. Yeah. Maybe you think you know he's a direct challenge to the Godwin family. Yeah, definitely. Because he's a new man, young but an adult, definitely able to yeah, be leashed on him off, didn't they? Anyway, his children don't get killed off, so he does have another son, Edgar, who is named as an Etheling, i.e. a legitimate prince. Yeah. But he's only about five years old at this time. And is he half Hungarian, or is he...? No, he's fully... Well, they don't know who oh, Edward's right. wife was. Maybe okay. a woman called Agatha. But he's a, a legitimate prince, but very, very young. Yeah. And Edward, the confessor, isn't very young. Yeah. Which means that well. it's not a good chance of him succeeding. However, Harold's still there. He's still in place. Um, one of his big things is dealing with Wales, which at this time becomes a bit tricky, uh, under the name of a chap called Griffith Ap Llewellyn, who was a powerful Welsh king, possibly actually properly king of all of Wales. Oh, right. Which was about the only time that happened. Yeah. He briefly united the north and the south. Uh, he al- allied with um, this earl in Mercia, who'd raised an Irish army, and together they attacked Her- Hereford, and that sort of... Uh, yeah, West Coast, Old March Western of, bit um, of England. Yeah. yeah, so they're doing a lot of damage. This is quite a direct threat to English security. Mm. So Harold and his brother Tostig launch this sort of joint campaign in Wales, um, do a lot of damage, defeat Grifford, who escapes into Snowdonia, gets killed off by his own men. Wales is sorted. Totally subjugated. Pretty much. It's a great victory for the Saxons. Well done, Harold. Well done, Harold. However, another name that might be familiar that I just mentioned there was Tostig. Or maybe not. (laughs) As in Sandy, the comedian. (laughs) Indeed, yes. The uh, grandfather. Not not the same? No, not quite the same. Tostig. One of Harold's younger brothers, the came Earl of Northumbria in 1055, had pretty good relations with the King of Scotland, who was called Malcolm, but not very good relations with the people in Northumbria. He didn't really have any connections there. He tried to reintroduce Saxon law as opposed to the sort of Viking law that they'd mm. been allowed to live by. Frequently absent of court, which meant that in 1065 there was a local uprising. Um, rebellious leaders resented the heavy taxations he was imposing, banded together, went on this sort of anti-Tostig rampage, killing lots of his supporters, and then they demanded to Edward that he get rid of him, remove him as the Earl. This has got a Godwinson, this is Tostig. Yeah, this is Tostig, Tostig Godwinson. Uh, Edward quite likes Tostig, he doesn't want to get rid of him, but ultimately he doesn't have any support from any of the other nobles. In particular, Harold doesn't mm. support Tostig. Even Harold? Harold doesn't brother. support Tostig. So Tostig is sent into exile. Not very happy about this, and as we'll see, he wants revenge. Mm. He's got a bit of a resentment against old Harold. Where does he go in exile? Where does he go? Well, he goes many places. He goes to Scotland, but in particular, he goes to Scandinavia. Yeah, yeah I thought this was going to happen. Maybe visits a chap called Harold Hadrada. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's interesting to know why Harold would have done this, because um, he was popular with Edward, so maybe he seemed like a rival if Harold at this time had his eyes on the throne. Mm. Also, there was a threat to national stability, because by this stage, which is 1065, it would have been pretty clear that Edward's now quite old, William, Duke of Normandy, is definitely going to want to claim a right to the throne. So probably Harold thought... So that issue was already there? Oh yeah, they knew about it. They knew that William was going to claim... He wanted to do it. Because William was kicking off, wasn't he? He was big star in um, Normandy. In Normandy, yeah. Yeah. So they know that William's going to want to invade, and if they've got this problem with Northumbria being at odds with them, 
that's a huge issue if they haven't got everyone in England on and the side. All invasions from um, Scandinavia tend to land there. Yeah, so they he gets rid of Tostig, yeah, maybe just to shore things up. Either way, Tostig isn't happy. This now moves us into ten uh, later ten sixty five on Boxing Day. Edward suffers a stroke. Mm. Lapses into a coma, um, comes in and out, and dies about the 4th or 5th of January in 1066. Okay. So Edward the Confessor has died. Sadly for him, he missed the consecration of Westminster Abbey on the 28th of December. He couldn't go because he was oh. of dying. He'd been building it his whole life, and yeah. then just before. That's when he ended up. Anyway, apparently his last words to his court were to Harold when he said, I commend this woman, Edith, his wife, and all the kingdom to your protection. I.e., it is suggested, he named Harold on his deathbed as his heir. Okay. Big point of contention next week. Like Edward the Martyr, he has something of a uh, flourishing after he dies. Um, there's a cult of him, partly helped by um, Edith, who writes a book called the Vita Eduardi Regis, which sort of praises him and the Godwin family, presents him as this unworldly, pious man, lots of myths about him, miracles and curing. There's also then a myth that the reason he didn't have, have any children was that he took a vow of celibacy. So pure was he. Mm. So uh, he gets sanctified by Henry II and Thomas Becket and is named a confessor. Now, a confessor is somebody who suffered for his piety, but he didn't actually get martyred for it. So it's one step down from a martyr. And also they needed to distinguish him from Edward the Martyr. Who was the... The kid that got killed on a horse. King Edward the Martyr. Son of Edgar the Peaceable. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, And his coronation regalia was used by all kings until it got melted down by Oliver Cromwell. Then then when the crown was remade, it was named St Edward's Crown. And that is the current crown, which, of course, is also the Rex Factor logo. Yeah. Yeah. So that lasted 600 years. Yeah. And for some time he's the patron saint of England, and even today there are ceremonies still conducted by Protestant and Catholic bishops at the same time together. And he's got this huge shrine in Westminster Abbey. And even though... Oh, it's built by who? uh, Built by medieval kings, Norman kings. Oh, right. And even though he's no longer the patron saint of the country, he's still the patron saint of kings, difficult marriages... And separated spouses. Patron saint of kings is quite a big one. Oh yeah, so he's still sort of revered by. I'd have thought that would have been Alfred. No, <laughs> he wasn't even. Uh, is it Al- No, he's not. Not officially no, sanctified. No. Yeah. Anyway, Edward the Confessor is now dead, mm. and we must now review him. Okay, I, I I really want to do the next one, but I'm going to review him. We do first. have to do yeah. this one first. Yeah. Okay. With Capella University's FlexPath format, you can set your own deadlines, learn at your pace, and access most coursework from anywhere at any time. Imagine your future differently at capella.edu. This episode is brought to you by Rakuten. If you're shopping while working, eating, or even listening to this podcast, then you know and love the thrill of the hunt. But are you getting the thrill of the best deals? Rakuten shoppers do. They get the brands they love with the most savings and cash back. And you can get it too. Start getting cash back at your favorite stores like UGG, Samsung, and Expedia. And even stack sales on top of cash back. It's easy to use and you get your cash back through PayPal or check. The idea is simple. 
Stores pay Rakuten for sending them shoppers, and Rakuten shares the money with you as cash back. Download the free Rakuten app and never miss a deal. Or go to Rakuten.com to start getting the most bang for your buck. That's R-A-K-U-T-E-N. That's Rakuten. This episode is brought to you by Pepsi Wild Cherry. Pepsi Wild Cherry is bursting with delicious cherry flavor and a sweet, crisp taste that gives you more to go wild for. Getting wild may look different these days, but whether it's opting for a solo Friday binge watch or a big night out, everyone can indulge in their wild side with Pepsi Wild Cherry, also available in Zero Sugar. So grab a Pepsi Wild Cherry and get wild. Battleliness. Not much there. Well, so as the Easterling, there's that rumour that he fought alongside Edmund Ironside, but he almost certainly didn't. Yeah. There was his 1036 expedition, which didn't really... No. Do very well, Peter Dow. However, his biographer, Frank Barlow, says that although he's not seen as a warrior king, he may have been a sort of a thwarted military ruler. Because he, want, he wants to get out of He that. never really gets a chance, so he probably actually mobilised the fleet every year, particularly sort of up to the 1049, 1050s, because they were worried about invasion. Yeah. So, harking back almost to Edgar the Peaceable, he's getting the fleet out every year, he's always there, and he's always at the forefront. So he's, you know, he's preparing militarily. So 1049, he probably would have felt confident that he could have seen off. But he never really was in a shield wall or anything himself. Never really in that position. And from the 1050s, he was probably just trying to stay on good terms with all of his neighbours and continental allies. So he doesn't show any interest in expanding his empire. On the one hand, you could say there's that campaign in Wales that goes very well. However... That's entirely under the generalship of Harold. Who will get praise for that next week. Who will get praise for that next week. Also, Scotland in this period has something of a successful time that's quite powerful and causing England problems under the rule of Macbeth. Really? From 1040 to uh, 1057 until he gets killed. So, yeah, so Scotland quite powerful, Wales quite powerful. He's getting challenged. He's not really militarily strong, but at the same time, he's organising things. Yeah. He's getting things in place so it can be done, but he's not doing yeah. it. If he'd been disastrous, there would be no way that Harold Godwinson next week could put up any kind of a show defending the kingdom. So it's Isn't not subjectivity, a though? dreadful place. Well, it's military preparedness, yeah. preparing the military. But no battles, no great victories, no expansion. Any success against Wales is purely down to Harold. Mm. What are we going to say? One. Oh, that's a bit harsh. Well, I mean, he's not... You want... I do. ...a sword held aloft. Exactly. And, and blood beneath him. And I think, unless you're, unless you're actually fighting, until there's the, the, the law that comes in that says the, the king or queen can't, I want him actually fighting, you know? And, and security provided that it's not battliness, mm. to me, is subjectivity. <laughs> OK, you're going to give him one. I'm yeah. going to give him a three. Okay. I think, you know, he's... He's prepared well. Okay. Four. But doesn't do anything much. So four and all for battliness. That's yeah, not bad. Not Same as Hartknut, who Indeed. did battles. Yeah. Scandal. You Quite wouldn't think any scandal for St. Edward yeah, the Confessor. Yeah, quite a bit, though. However, the other suggestion is that rather than the fact that he took a vow of celibacy, maybe he was homosexual. Really? As why he didn't have any children. That's Where's another... That's, that's the first... Um, that's the uh, first mention of this we've had in Scandal. Of homosexuality? Yeah. Normally it's been threesomes the other way. <laughs> anyway. How do, you, how do you hear about that? 
Is it? In, it was another thing that was rumoured. Oh, right. Yeah. Okay. Again, it may just have been that mm. I, one of them was impotent, or both of them were impotent, mm. which was something the Saxons wouldn't have understood. Yeah. Really, as a concept for people. Um, also, maybe he just suffered in the fact that he had quite a lot of dominating women in his life, like his mother Emma, <laughs> yeah. obviously Edith, apparently. Although suggestions that they did get on quite well, but also she was a very sort of cultured person, which he might have found a bit mm. intimidating because he used to a plainer style in Normandy. Right. But anyway, what the, the Normans were plainer than the you say the Saxons are more cultured in many ways. Well, they're much more flamboyant than the Normans. The Normans are much more um, withdrawn. Oh right. We'll come to that a bit, actually, with Harold in terms of the relative appearances of the two of them. Yeah, I did not know that. That's interesting. Normans thought that Saxons looked like girls because they had quite long hair and... They still use woad and things like that. Mm. Wow. Learning something new every day. day, Anyway, rumour about homosexuality, though, there's no evidence for it. Um, Other stuff is really just controversial rather than scandalous. So the way that he treats Emma when he first comes Mm. to king, his elderly queen mother... Yeah. Yeah, that's not, not too good. Promoting the Normans, exiling Godwin. But again, this is all really just the just kings, hustle and bustle yeah, of courtly life. Yeah, that's admin, really. Admin. So all we've really got is a probably not true rumour that he was gay. And the... Uh, oh no, that was Godwin who... Yeah, Godwin killed his brother. Yeah, I don't think yeah. we're going to accuse him of no. killing his brother. So what do you think then? That's not great. Oh, I don't think he was. I no. think I think he... Point five, yeah. Point five for a maybe, mm. for a whiff of. I mean, we could give him point five overall and two point two five each. I'm going to give him point five. Okay, point two five. No, I'll give him point five. We'll give yeah. a round number. Yeah, one. one, one for scandal. Not yeah. great, but no, no. Subjectivity. Well, part of the fact that there isn't any scandal suggests yeah. subjectivity to be a bit better. So this is a period of relative peace and stability. We'd had all those Vikings, lots of chopping and changing, but under Edward the Confessor, we have a long period of Saxon rule. It's pretty steady. Um, the previous two Viking kings have also been very unpopular. Does he do very much of any great uh, impetus and initiative? Probably not. There's a, unif- okay. a uniform law code that he introduces, but probably this was actually just things that were actually in place since Alfred the Great. It's not really a new thing. Stuff he'd picked up on the desk when he arrived. Yeah, so unlike Canute, he hadn't promoted anything new or didn't show himself to be particularly interested in promoting his beliefs through the justice system. I mean, as you say, all this stuff that was potentially battling us, I think, is good for subjectivity. Yeah. He's an old user, he, and it's safe hands. And he, he built Westminster Abbey. Yeah. It's a nice thing. Yes, nice thing. Indeed. Yeah. Protected his religious ruling rights, but again, not much reforming no. in religion. So again, he's not steady. really doing a lot. Steady Eddie. Steady Eddie, indeed. <laughs> he's a bit limited in power, you could argue. So we'd had Godwin and then Harold Godwinson, who really dominate. But he was really good show. at containing them. He did contain Godwin very well, but Harold probably does pretty much yeah. take over. He's twice upstaged the return of the Godwin family and the exiling of Tostig are things that he isn't able to control. Yeah. And his later years, as he said, Harold is pretty much running the show. Edward's in semi-retirement, doing lots of praying, visiting Westminster and hunting with dogs. And so he really, really, Harold was like a, almost like a regent then. Pretty much in the later years. Edward still knows what's going on. He's still... So he'd still have final say, but... Yeah. Harold's sort of like the Prime Minister in a way, I suppose. Yeah. Oh, cool. <laughs> Technically not in control, but if you ask him, 
yeah. it'll get done. However, so there's no real grand plan, no real big agenda that he has. But in fairness, what he's probably doing is just dealing with issues as they come along. And that's really been his big thing. He's not a fan of pomp and ceremony. He's not big about um, doing things. He just wants to survive. That's been his life. So he's known as another term, Edward the Mild. Yeah. He's not massively noble, not massively brave, but he's not cruel, which a lot of other people were. It's just, as you said, steady Eddie, respectable, not too scandalous, peace. I like him. It's all right. Yeah, it's good. It's fine. However, one negative we could say is that succession, he doesn't really sort out very well. And although it's not within his reign, it does cause a bit of a hornet's nest after he he dies. Getting it about it all. Yeah. (laughs) He should. The lack of scandal. Yeah, it didn't do very good, yeah. So how are we going to balance that out then? It's sort of a mix. It's peace, it's stability, it's fairly just. On the other hand, it's not very proactive, not a good succession, not always in control of events. I think anything above five is really very good. Mm. Um, if we take five as the maximum we could give him, and we take some off for uh, for the succession. Mm. Yeah, we're looking at three or four. four. Gonna, not four. Yeah, I'm, I'm also giving him four, I think. We're just doing the same scores yeah. today. It's very bland. But yeah, that's an eight. So, you know, it's decent, but we yeah. need a bit more. Yeah. In his own reign and also in what he secures for his successors. Yeah. So an eight for subjectivity. Longevity. 24 years. It's good. Longest we've had for a very long time. In fact, that's the longest since, uh, well, since Ethelred the Unready, his father, who's 38 years. But then we go back to Edward the Elder, who's also 24. And that's particularly impressive, given that he was 38 when he started Edward the That Confessor. is really impressive, isn't so it? So he's 62 Blimey. when he dies. So he's the longest living of all these men. They've monarchs. got some good genes back in them because of his mother, in, rather than the other fellow's teeth. Saxons out. were starting to... Yeah. yeah that wasn't, who was that? Which one had his... Edred. Edred, poor child. Poor old Edred. So, 24 years, that puts him back in the frame. Mm. However... Dynasty, not the programme. Here, of course, it's zero. Oh. No children oh, for Edward the Confessor. And as we've said, that means that there's a bit of an issue with the succession. He um, Just to say what happens, he ignores Edward, uh, Edgar the Ethling, the son of Edward the Exile, who was the son of Edmund Ironside. He doesn't name him as his successor because he's only about 14 or 15 at that time. And he knows that there's no way that this youngster who's been away his whole life is going to be able to command an army, Mm -hmm. which he's going to have to do. Names Harold, but he leaves it a bit late. So it's not very clear. And William of Normandy had been promised the throne. He couldn't have left it any later. No, (laughs) really (laughs) couldn't. So the succession, the dynasty, is in pretty perilous state. So that means that we have a grand total for Edward the Confessor of 37 points, which isn't too bad. It's better than most, actually, but it's below... All the ones. Big scores of the. Indeed. But that's what we must come to now. The final question Does Edward the Confessor have that air of greatness which we call. Rex Factor! Yeah, I wish I could give it to him, but can't. It's funny in a way, because for centuries, probably he would have been considered, if they had such a concept, Rex Factor. He's a patron saint of the monarchy. I suppose to legitimise the Normans, they really need to big up. Yeah, link to it yeah, with the confessor yeah. because he's the one that 
Oh yeah, that's true. Brings them in. So if you'd have asked, yeah, if you'd have asked people a couple of centuries ago, they'd have been all over. Yeah, been all over him. But... And maybe even the royal family today might. And maybe even um, if we, it is just this the space and time that he was. If it was mm. what, let's look at fifty years before, mm. he'd have had that would have been a really successful reign. And given the um, the uh, environment, he'd have done really well. But he it's just all, this, yeah. it's just the fact that it's also. Uh, it's also mixed up with all the families. And yeah, and we know what's coming later as well. It's harder. Yeah. But to be fair to him, he's not maybe not the greatest of kings, but what I quite like about him, you do see something of a character about him. So you can understand mm. his psychology a bit more. So you see that he was quite cautious because he'd grown up with Saxons being invaded by Vikings, the conquest and the raiding. Father and stepbrother both defeated. Brother Alfred violently murdered. Mm. He'd had to deal with uh, abandonment issues by his mother, and he gets forced into exile, forced to work with the man who killed his brother and yeah. marry his daughter and promote all of his sons. That, that sounds just like an EastEnders A bit episode. of a, a bitterness going on there. But ultimately, he's a survivor, which is the most important yeah. thing. He survived all of those challenges to him. He's not this clueless, pious old man. He actually knew how to outlast all of his rivals, and that's mm. what he does. And he just had a retirement. And then just retired. So he does well, he survives, and for that he deserves credit. Mm. But for the Rex Factor... Yeah, it's a no. It's almost as if if Harold Goddington was his son, that would have been ideal. That would be, would, yeah, that he would be have, perfect. He would have been in retirement. His son would have been sorting everything out, but it was just not his son. But Alas. you know, it worked out for a bit. Worked out for a bit, very very <laughs> little bit. But that means that's a no for no. Edward the Confessor. He doesn't have the Rex factor. Bad luck, Edward, but not not a disgrace by any means. No. So to recap, then before our very exciting. Episode Christmas next episodes. time when we have Harold the Second and 1066, yes. which for you and many others Excellent. is when it all starts. Now, we're, now we've started. We will do our final Prince Watch. Let's do a recap of everyone that we've had then, just to show how it's all worked its way down. It's four lines, is it? Four, That's three families. First of all, Ethelred and Elgifu of York, their son Edmund Ironside, died in 1016 after being defeated by Canute possibly murdered by Edric Striona. Mm. His son, Edward the Exile, did all right in Hungary, but then died as soon as he came back. Mm. But Edward the Exile's son, Edgar the Eastling, is only about 14 or 15 years old, but he is a royal Saxon son. Mm. So there is still one descendant of Alfred, yeah. male, left. So he's still alive, not really in a position to fight, but alive. Other son of Ethelred was Edwig, who Canute murdered in 1016. Yeah, gone. Ethelred and Emma, Edward the Confessor, we've just covered him, he has, does very well, but he dies without issue in 1066, leaving as potential successors Harold Godwinson, who he names as his heir on his deathbed, mm. and William of Normandy, who is his cousin, who he had named as heir earlier in his reign. Right. The other son, Alfred, of course, murdered Killed. by Godwin. Sven Forkbeard, the Viking, his son Canute had died after a long successful reign, but then his three children, Sven, Harold I and half the Canute, all died, not really able to do very much. Mm. But half the Canute had had that deal with Magnus of Norway, that whichever one of them lasted longer would inherit the throne. Yeah. Magnus lasts longer, he dies, the throne is taken over by his, nef- his um, uncle, Harald Hadrada, and Harald Hadrada in 1066 is going to claim ah, this is that brilliant. rather tenuous link to the throne. It is tenuous. You can see the wall here. We've got Harold, William, and 
Harold Hildrada. Yeah, so after 50, 50 years from uh, Ethelred the Unready, we've had six kings, four probable murders, 16 claimants, but there are only four left. Harold Godwinson, the king, William Duke of Normandy, Harold Hildrada, and the young Edgar the Ethling. Four men left, 1066. Who's going to win? I know how to rate their chances. Well, indeed, I think you would. I think many would. But we'll find out what happens with Harold II next week. Excellent. That's Christmas, isn't it? And it will be Christmas. Big break. Yes. So, we'll see you then. All right, cheerio.